Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Welcome back, quality people, to episode number 37 of the Healthcare Quality Cast, powered by the Quality Coaching Company. And today, I have so many shout-outs to start today's show that it's not even funny. First is a quick shout-out to all my healthcare quality and patient safety professionals here in the state of Georgia. Later tonight, I'll be partnering with the leadership team from the Georgia Association of Healthcare Quality and holding an open house networking event at the Emory Healthcare Decatur Campus. Now, a smarter podcast host would have shared this information in an earlier episode, but I have been posting about it on my LinkedIn page. If you catch this episode in time, or if you've been following my posts, please do join us if you're able to, as we love to network, share plans for re-engaging the Georgia community of quality professionals, and I'll be sharing a short presentation on the state of healthcare quality and steps that you can take for implementing operational excellence at your facility. Next, if you're in the Charleston, South Carolina area this Friday, October the 25th, then please join me and a gathering of other talented PI professionals at the 2019 MUSC Healthcare Performance Improvement Conference. Now, if you followed episode number 32, we had Jennifer Hooks on the show highlighting this conference. This will be my third year attending, and this is hands down my personal favorite conference of the year. I find that it's immensely valuable, perfectly sized, and has a great spice of variety as the MUSC team purposefully advertises the event to non-healthcare sectors. This year, I'll be sharing a presentation on the five ways that podcasting has helped my healthcare career and small business. I admit that it's definitely a unique topic for a conference, but I'm hoping to draw an interested audience from both a corporate and an entrepreneurial mindset. Total side note, but one of the benefits of this trip is the ability to just hang out in Charleston for the weekend, but this year, I hate to admit that I actually have to go home to Atlanta immediately following the conference. My wife and I will be taking our kids to the Boo at the Zoo event here in Atlanta on that Saturday, and I've been informed that we are dressing up as characters from Aladdin, and specifically, I'll be the Sultan. My wife has designed all of the costumes, and I'll be sure to post a picture of it within our group page on LinkedIn. And by the way, if you're not a part of the group site, shoot me a message through LinkedIn, and I'll get you added personally. I have some cool plans coming up for the group this winter, so you'll want to plug in early for this. On October 31st, I'll be partnering with the best nurse leaders here in the state of Georgia and delivering a Lean Six Sigma Yellow Belt Healthcare course at the 2019 Unity Conference for Nursing Excellence. I had the opportunity last year to plug in with this conference and I've been blown away with the leaders that I've met through this event. We had 27 healthcare professionals complete the blended online and in-person training requirements last year and I can't wait to engage with the students that have signed up for this year's course. Last but not least, I wanted to give a super huge shout out to Josh Hirong. Josh is a healthcare improvement advisor out of Wisconsin that follows the show and shared a few great reflections after listening to episode number 35 with Ivy Fishman. 
Josh, I appreciate you greatly for taking the time to send the email and most definitely for tuning in with the show. If you're okay with it, I'd love to save your question for another episode to share with the audience, only because I'm already taking forever to get through these intros today. I want to make sure that we can take a little extra time to frame up your questions and give our quality people a chance to really plug in. That said, thank you so much again, and please do continue to share your thoughts, questions, and reflections, and I'll be sure to set those up for ongoing topics with our audience as well. All right, everyone, I told you there were a bunch of updates to share, but believe it or not, we actually do have a show to transition into. I am honored to introduce to you all a very impressive healthcare quality leader, Shruti Ramachandran. Shruti is the Director of Quality Management and Evaluation for Mount Sinai Health Systems Institute for Advanced Medicine, which is a network of five practices in Manhattan, New York, that provides HIV prevention and care treatment services to over 5,000 patients at risk for HIV and over 11,000 patients living with HIV and AIDS. Shruti leads strategic and operational initiatives related to quality, focusing on establishing and maintaining a culture of continuous improvement through shared goals, standard measures, and multidisciplinary approach. She also oversees monitoring and evaluation activities of key services and clinical outcomes, as well as grant-funded programs. Prior to joining Mount Sinai, Shruti served at the senior management roles at the Bureau of HIV AIDS within the NYC Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, focusing also on monitoring, evaluation, and program implementation of large-scale city-funded HIV prevention programs for both at-risk populations and people with HIV. Here in episode number 37, Shruti starts our show with a validation that she is exactly where she needs to be as a guest on our podcast. She introduces us to the work that she leads in New York and the path that led her to this point. She also provides a great overview on how performance management connects with the more traditional outline that we have of healthcare quality improvement. Shruti outlines how she built her current quality management system from the ground up by outlining the vision, goals, and objectives for her program. She highlights a great career lessons learned connected with the implementation of healthcare IT systems within her organization. She shares why effective meeting management and ground rules are incredibly important to the work that we lead, and her aha moment connected with fostering group collaboration and problem solving across her improvement teams. Shruti, thank you sincerely for being in the right place on today's podcast and for sharing your very valuable experiences with my audience. Quality people, please enjoy today's episode with Shruti. Please do join me and other great quality professionals in any of the upcoming events that I highlighted earlier. And absolutely, shoot me a note to join our LinkedIn group and share your thoughts as we continue to grow our audience and community. Thank you all so much, and I will see you next week when we return with a very special guest making their first-time appearance on our show. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast, and today I'm here with our special guest, Shruti Ramachandran. Shruti, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yes, I am. Awesome. Well, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going, so I would love if you could share your favorite uh, quote or mindset, but also share with us how do you apply it on a daily basis. 
Sure. Yeah, I think one. So one of my favorite quotes um, is as follows, and it's, "You are exactly where you need to be." And I'm actually not sure where this quote originated from, or this, you know, who actually came up with this saying. But you know, it's it's had a profound impact on how I view my day, my week, my month, uh, my year. Um, and so when I think about it and what it's really saying to me, it, it reminds me to do two things. You know, one is to be more mindful and present in this moment. Um, and the other is to really accept this moment for what it is and try to learn from it. So um, you are exactly where you need to be. And I think, you know, when it comes to work or your personal life, I think it's just so important to, you know, be in the present moment and be able to accept what's happening and, and sort of um, respond, you know, um, and be mindful in your response. So that's, you know, at least how I try to uh, use that saying in, in my everyday practice whether it's at work or with family or friends or any situation. All right. Well, I'll tell you, I love it because I agree. You are where you need to be, which is on this podcast, talking to quality (laughs) people. (laughs) There you go. It's very applicable. Yeah. There there you go. Perfect. Well, um, Shruti, thank you uh, so much again um, just for giving us the time and sharing everything with your background and your experiences that we're going to talk through today. Um, I always love to share. I mean, I was just fortunate. I was perusing through LinkedIn and came across your profile and reached out. I thought your background was amazing and just a, a perfect fit for the conversations that we like to have on this podcast. So um, next question I have for you is just uh, I would love for you to share with us your background. Uh, what was your introduction into healthcare quality and uh, process improvement? Um, and, and what led you down this career path? Uh, and, you know, if you could even maybe highlight some of the work that you're in now, because as I read through your background, it's a little touch bit different from kind of that classic healthcare quality and process improvement, but sure. it's still it's still in the same realm. So I would love for you to just um, introduce us to everything with your background. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, you're, you totally, you know, read it correctly. I mean, my, you know, career and, my career path has taken me down um, a lot of different alleys, and I think um, for me, I, I got started in quality um, through a lot of my roles in program evaluation. So, um, so not you know definitely not the traditional route for a lot of quality professionals, but when you think about, you know, uh, whether it's continuous quality improvement or um, monitoring and evaluating um, a program or even um, clinical services, you know, all of this actually falls under the umbrella of performance management. And so um, my early career really focused on the monitoring and evaluation components of performance management. And I started essentially with a a fellowship with the Centers for Disease Control um, and a background in public health. And that's where I really was trained heavily on, you know, the tenets of um, evaluation, including um, QI. 
and I, you know, had a lot of projects both at CDC and then also at, uh, eventually I moved over to the New York City Department of Health um, with their HIV Bureau. And so I led a lot of um, monitoring and evaluation activities and projects specific to public health programs that were being implemented by um, whether it was a community-based organization or a community health center or a large hospital system. Um, I worked with various entities and agencies and um, really tried to um, provide oversight and um, looked at a lot of monitoring and evaluation data to help them make strategic decisions about how they were going to continue providing those services, how they could improve providing those services. So that's how I started getting a taste for quality was really through evaluation and, and monitoring. And then um, as I uh, as our projects ha uh, started having more of a focus on um, clinical services uh, when I was with the Department of Health, um, I worked with uh, various um, hospitals at, in New York City and and that's when, obviously, you know, the aspect of quality really came in. Um, so, you know, for the HIV population, um, quality is really something that's key to providing um, services for this high-need population. So people that are living with HIV are oftentimes um, fairly disenfranchised populations that we work with, primarily Medicare, Medicaid populations, um, and very, um, a lot of them are, you know, start um, with having no insurance whatsoever. Um, so it's it's a hard-to-engage population, and they have other needs as well. Um, including mental health and substance use issues that have to be addressed. So um, quality becomes really a key component um, of care for this population because there's just such a myriad of, you know, co-occurring issues, and um, we have to be able to manage it um, all in order to to really. Um, elevate the health of uh, people with HIV. So um, it is a very core piece of how you provide HIV care and services. So that's how I that's how I started um, at the Department of Health. And then I was able to move into the position I'm in now with Mount Sinai Health System, which is one of the largest, um, you know, healthcare delivery systems in New York. And um, I work for an institute of five different HIV practices that provide both HIV prevention and care and treatment services um, for over 17,000 patients. Um, so it's a very high volume, um, you know, set of clinics that I work for. And um, so when I moved into this position, I, you know, alongside evaluation, um, the other part of my position here was to really establish a quality management system for this institute. So um, so this is where I really expanded my um, my experience with quality improvement, and I was able to really establish from ground up uh, a quality management system, both at the five clinics you know, that are under our institute and across the institute um, as well, coming up with a basically a 
quality committee that spanned across this network of practices and bringing everybody together and having standard goals and measures and a way to really um, set um, the tone for high quality of care regardless of which clinic a patient goes to within our institute. Well, that, that's a wonderful background. Um, it, it's funny for me, um, my wife is a public health scientist. She works at the CDC. And wow, bet- great. Yeah, but between the two of us, we always go back and forth because uh, my entire healthcare career has been healthcare, mostly hospital-based. Now I'm moving um, into the outpatient clinics and health plans mm. and so forth. But, you know, we have our internal beef about, you know, public health versus healthcare and what I love about the background, as you just shared it, is that you started off mostly public health, but obviously now connected with a healthcare system uh, with Mount Sinai, and you're still pulling, um, you know, the program together from both aspects. Is kind of what I heard, and that um, really impressed with, you know, your ability to even pull together the quality management system from the ground up. We don't always get that opportunity to build the structure from the ground up, so. Um, that's really, really awesome. But um, I guess kind of a off-script question I have for you, uh, I would love for you to maybe share a little bit more around the concepts of program evaluation and program management. Um, from where I'm familiar with it, I mean, we're we're talking about managing quality programs in terms of, you know, how um, the work that's getting done, you know, what's the impact analysis, what's the overall kind of stakeholder management. You mentioned you guys have over 17,000 patients maybe within the cohorts that you're currently working through. Um, you know, always kind of staying on top of the business cases for new resources, new grants or other funding opportunities. But um, we'd love for you to maybe give us a few minutes just overview. What does quality um, program evaluation and monitoring look like? Because, again, you know, our listeners are probably going to be pretty diverse across the board, but for our quality improvement folks who may not always get the, the evaluation and program management piece or vice versa, just want to introduce a little bit more on that topic. Right. No, absolutely. I think that, that that's a great question. So, you know, um, as I mentioned, like performance management is, is kind of the umbrella term or sort of like the parent concept that um, an underperformance management um, is where you'll find not just quality improvement, but also monitoring and evaluation. And so there are very key differences in these three concepts. And um, so really, you know, whether it's a, let's say, a grant-funded program, a government-funded program that you're implementing, or even just in healthcare when it comes to your clinical services and the outcomes, you know, patient outcomes piece of it and impact, um, ultimate long-term impact on patient health, you know, all of this can be systematically monitored and assessed through continuous monitoring and evaluation of, um, you know, of of these data, whether it's on the process side, whether certain things are happening as planned, or um, on the outcome side, you know, uh, in terms of um, 
just health outcomes in general. Like, you know, are you, especially in primary care, you know, are you able to really properly manage, um, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease outcomes among your patients, you know, and, um, you know, various other um, uh, issues as well. And for us, it's HIV. So um, our ultimate outcome is that patients have a suppressed HIV viral load. So that's that's something we try to strive for, and that's a big, you know, performance indicator for us uh, and clinical indicator for us. Um, and quality really comes through a rigorous monitoring process. So um, it's born out of data monitoring and, and really understanding um, and and it starts with a monitoring plan, right? So you start with understanding what the goals are for your program, for your clinic, your practice, and and then work backwards into what indicators, what performance indicators are we really talking about that speak to the ultimate goals of our of our practice. Um, of our medicine program. And and then from there, sort of how are we collecting that, who's responsible for that, and how are we assessing that data? And then, so it, it's, it is very data-driven, you know, performance management um, and every concept within it. Um, and then from there, you know, when you're looking at that, those various indicators, that's when you start to see where your gaps are, right? So where there are potential areas for improvement. And that's why the monitoring piece is first and foremost, and it informs the quality piece. Um, so then you take it a step further into quality. And that's, again, a very much um, similar to monitoring. It's, you know, it's actually work that you're doing on a daily basis, right? So it's all of the efforts that you, the, the care team, um, all the services that they're pro providing on a daily basis that ultimately lead to outcomes. So um, that's kind of the similarity between monitoring and QI is that it's something you're doing on an everyday basis. Um, and the QI is really like, how are you going to improve it, right? Whether it's a process improvement or, um, whether it's um, an outcomes-based improvement, what, what are you going to be doing in terms of your workflow to to assess that? And depending on the model that you use, you know, we use the um, IHI model for improvement, so we're constantly implementing PDSA cycles for our areas of improvement or our annual quality goals that we've identified through our monitoring efforts. And um, so that process is different. Monitoring is typically just, you know, looking at looking at the data and and looking at your processes and seeing if they work. And QI is really addressing what's not working. And evaluation is not so frequent. So it's not something you do on a daily basis. Um, it's long term. And typically, you know, we conduct evaluation activities on a biannual or annual basis or, you know, every every year, or we even look back for the last, you know, three years um, and see what our outcomes are like. Um, and so, and that is really looking at and answering questions about how effective our services are. So, uh, in reaching our ultimate goals. Um, so if for our practice, um, 
because we're dealing with patients that are living with HIV, how effective are we at really achieving viral load suppression across our patients and over time? How well are we helping them maintain that over time? That's a big question that we have. So, um, and that's a big goal of ours, right? So it's attaching those goals to their outcomes and seeing whether we're actually achieving those outcomes over time. So it's not something that happens quite as frequently as, you know, monitoring QI. Um, but it, it's the ultimate um, validation of how your QI efforts are going to, you know, whether they've actually made a, a dent in some of the goals that you have for your practice. Wonderful. Uh, no, that was an excellent summary. And I, again, I appreciate you connecting the dots between the, you know, as a quality management system going from, you know, the the program evaluation all the way through the QI um, and, and the monitoring steps. That was perfect. So uh, thank you for that. I want to move you to the next question. And um, I've been calling this uh, as of late kind of the dark place question. So um, <laughs> what I'd love for you to do is to take us back on a journey uh, to a point in your career that you would probably consider as the worst as a healthcare quality leader, but really take us into that moment. Um, share with us the scenario, but also share with us decision processes that you were going through to hopefully turn that moment around. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I read this question um, or when I'm thinking about this question, I think um, there's something that popped into my mind immediately. And um, so so the scenario or the, the moment that, that really um, impacted um, me as a healthcare professional and as a, you know, uh, leader in quality is when we um, had launched this uh, technology tool. And uh, it was something that was embedded in our EMR. Um, and um, when we were developing the tool, you know, um, I had sort of come in halfway into the development of the tool itself and was new to the new to the health system at that time to Mount Sinai health system and um but I had you know some background in working with health information technology tools so I was excited to really be part of this process and um this was a quality technology tool where whereby we were going to have a real time report within our EMR that looked at HIV outcomes at the institute level, at the clinic level, and at the provider level. And at the provider level, it would it would basically have these um you know, action lists whereby the provider can just click on the number and then poof, you get a list of all of your patients that are non-compliant, you know, for a particular measure or, you know, outcome. And so the idea behind this was that, you know, this would, you know, this kind of data, um, real-time data could be run by our provider teams across our institute. They would see how, the clinics were doing uh, compared to each other. They would see how they compared to the institute overall. They would see how they fared, um, 
you know, amongst um, their peers in terms of the providers and their performance compared to their peers' performance. And hopefully this would engender, you know, friendly competition and, like, really motivate providers to, you know, um, to close gaps, to, like, really address outcomes among their patients and use those action lists to follow up with patients and really, you know, um, try to um, get down to the root causes of why they were either not engaging in treatment or, you know, really not um, engaging in care even um, and and get them, you know, to a better place where they're managing their care more effectively. So, So all well in theory, right? So this is, you know, we were thinking this is going to be such a powerful tool and we're going to let's go do our dog and pony show. We were, you know, it was in production, it was in our EMR and we started to train provider teams. And it really came as a shock when and that, you know, a lot of providers had very strong feelings about um what we were showing them, uh about how the tool worked you know, what it was displaying, especially when you're talking about at the provider level, you know, sort of having their performance displayed very openly, you know, um, and um, I think, you know, it was a real reminder to us that, um, and at least to me at that moment, that, you know, part of this process of developing this tool unfortunately did not include more of the provider voice while we were developing it. Um so we did, you know, we we had a um we had a quality um lead uh, uh one of our medical directors that was involved in the process and he was really passionate obviously about about um having this in place and you know um you know, I too was really excited about, you know, really doing something so unique and that was within the EMR that would ideally, you know, make it easier for providers to then, you know, um, navigate to any patients that they wanted to do follow-up with. But, you know, we, I think we did not anticipate, you know, some of the concerns that providers had um, about this project and about this tool. And so I think a lot of folks were just not used to having, you know, their performance up there <laughs> for everyone to see. And, um, or they, you know, they felt like, you know, um, in in a lot of instances, and rightfully so, you know, um, that it wasn't really fair to compare because you are, you know, one providers panels could be composed of a much harder, you know, set of members that were harder to engage versus another provider that maybe had a completely different population that, you know, was more easy to treat or more easy to engage in care. So it it off the bat I think it felt like um you know they were sort of being set up unfairly um and so it unfortunately was not used by the providers as we had wanted it to be. You know, we wanted this to be an effective tool for them to use. In in for us, it was a great way for them to manage their panel because they were able to see how they were doing across their panel um, and really do you know more proactive panel management and population health management of of um, you know the patients that they were serving, but. Um, you know, it it didn't really go in the direction that we wanted it to go, 
and I think it 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 hurt um, the quality program in some ways because I think um, you know it just didn't take a lot of their perspective into into play when we were developing this. Um, so you know I think we had to course correct at that point, and um, so. I think we had to really think about what was going to ultimately help a provider, you know, really, you know, be able to better manage their panel um, over time and um, ultimately through conversations and um, just more like root cause analyses, right, of like really getting down to um, what's going to help them. Um, you know, we realized like really what is more helpful is if, they have something, you know, the day of for the patients that they're seeing and um, and they have support from the rest of the care team, the nursing staff as well as like the um, clinic management staff on, on managing, you know, that panel the day that, that they're actually at the clinic. So really having it be far more real time in terms of the patients that they're seeing that day and what they will need to be doing for those patients depending on, you know, um, any any care gaps that they have or any, you know, outstanding um, um, issues that they need to address that day um, that we are collecting from, from the EMR itself. So we really switched gears and decided to do a different report for them that um, was far more targeted to to the day of and uh, with the support of the care team as well. And, um, you know, the tool still exists in the EMR, but um, it's actually something that our medical directors love to see and use because then they're able to, you know, ultimately the medical directors, they want to see how their provider teams are doing, how their clinic is doing compared to the other clinics and to the institute. And so it's become a more administrative tool um, for both the medical directors and for us in quality, our program in quality, and then our senior leadership as well. So we've we've had to just, you know, really take all of that information in, in and and um, change the way we um, the users, the end users of that tool, and focus on the folks that are really going to be find that tool useful, and then um, revise you know, our approach to proactive panel management with our um, individual providers and give them more real-time day-of data uh, to help them manage their panel. Well, you know, so I think that was a great story. Sounds like an amazing uh, lesson learned for you personally as, you know, you were just getting into the organization through that, that oh, initiative yes. there. Um, I heard a lot of a lot of great takeaways, everything from kind of the stakeholder management piece of it with your providers and understanding what they may have wanted, um, kind of a change management piece. It sounds like your uh, providers may have gone through like the stages of grief from the, you know, the denial and shock and anger, um, you know, that that comes with changing, um, you know, maybe their workflows or asking them to do something that just isn't sure. that natural feel like it may be for um, quality and analytics types of professionals like we are. Um, but uh, I think the one main thing that I really took away from that was, you know, with, uh, you know, and I, I'm going to expand the mindset, I guess, to be a little bit quality, but definitely analytics and performance measurement. Um, 
you know, that's what we're good at, and we think the more the better a lot of times. You know, the more mm-hmm. information and data and the more things I can see, the cooler and the more decisions, you know, it will help us make. And that is ultimately true, but it sounds like there may have also been a little bit of just, you know, the right tools or the right information for the right audience going on there right. as well. Because um, you say, you know, your your medical chief medical officers have their favorite views. You all may have your views. But your provider team, that base team, they just wanted, you know, that real time in the moment, help me get through the day type of a view. So um, that was maybe one of the biggest ahas or takeaways that I got from your from your dark moment there. But um, any, any other major, yeah, any other major takeaways to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, um, in terms of in terms of what you just mentioned, like. Um, um our providers you know uh they're really just focused you know on the patient right in front of them and um for us folks in on the analytical side of things as much as we you know love to gather more data and display it in different ways and slice it and dice it and um you know it's it's obviously it it you know, data has a purpose, right? It, it's data supposed to be directional, and I think it can. We can still focus on data and help us with strategy development. But at the end of the day, for a provider, um, it's really just, you know, about that moment with that patient and how they're going to get through that visit and be able to address all the things that they're coming with, right? Um, and for the population we serve, there's just so much that they're dealing with in a visit um, that, you know, having this fancy report in in, in the EMR uh, across their entire panel is just not something that they have the bandwidth for, you know. Um, they're really, you know, in terms of the quote, you are exactly where you need to be. That's how they feel when they're with the patient. That's where they need to be. They don't need to be in a report. Um, they need to be with that patient and address that patient's issues. And I think a lot of times, you know, with um, with health IT and um, with everything that's happening with health IT, which is really exciting, like what we forget is like the – flip side which unfortunately you know the provider burnout at this point in healthcare is like at an all-time high um and a lot of that is related to you know a more like push for more data and um more sophisticated you know uses of the EMR and that has really you know changed their um their way of practice and um their time with the patient and i think you know um when we think about healthcare now and like how do we engage um how do we you know how do we make sure that there's high staff engagement you know it's really about like finding joy in your work um and we have to, we just have to balance like that was my big takeaway was like we have to balance you know having all of this data and trying to be strategic with it alongside you know really some of the realities of what providers are dealing with on a day-to-day basis which is just trying to get through a visit you know and um so it 
you have to take a varied approach and you have to you have to have an inclusive approach to how you're going to be doing this so um so th- which is why we ultimately landed on you know still using that tool for the appropriate stakeholders at you know at a leadership level and administrative level but then really you know supporting our providers in a very different way that would really help them just get through the visit or get through their day and be able to better manage their panel on a day-to-day basis. All right, perfect. Noah, thank you for uh, for sharing a, a lot of details and a lot of great takeaways with that story, Shruti. Um, we'll go ahead and move you to the next question. Let's, uh, let's turn the conversation around and uh, really learn from you throughout the rest of our, our time together today. But uh, we'd love for you to give our quality people one tip or tool or a tactic that you found works really well for building up those intimate connections on project teams. But, uh, again, you know, share with us what it is and how do you apply it. Sure. Um, so one, you know, one piece of our work and um, within quality, especially as it relates to the, the practices that I deal with, um, it's a very multidisciplinary um, uh, care team that, um, that, we have established at each of these clinics. Um, so we, you know, we don't just have a medical director, but we also have, you know, our nurse manager, social work manager, our mental health, like, director or lead. Um, we also have care coordinators and um we have our, of course, clinic management staff as well. So, you know, we have a variety of disciplines um, that we essentially bring together on a regular basis at the clinic level, and they compose of our quality team um, at each clinic. And um, these are also the same folks that we bring together on a quarterly basis to um, for our institute-wide um, quality committee uh, meetings that we hold so that the entire institute can come together and really, like, have um, – share their best practices and lessons learned and be able to sort of have, like, a peer-to-peer learning network. Um, and um, – but throughout all of this, um, you know – What's sort of been a tip of mine or a tool, I would say, has been to um, have just very effective meetings and and managing those meetings appropriately. Because you know, when it comes to when it comes to a multidisciplinary team, and also teams where you know. Um, the staffing levels are also different, right? Like, so you have, you know, upper management, you have some folks who are at lower management, and sometimes in order to be inclusive and in order to, like, really drive a culture of quality, you know, everyone needs to be on an, a, a level playing field when it comes to discussing quality and how they're going to be addressing it at the local level and then how we're going to be addressing it, you know, across the institute as well. So what I really try to do is start with um, sort of like ground rules for all of our meetings, whether it's at the site level or whether, you know, it's our quarterly committee across our institute with it, with everyone that's uh, coming from each of our clinics. Um, and the ground rules are really just to, just to say, listen, we're all equals here. Everyone has a voice. Um, and so, um, and it's important to establish, right? Um, because a lot of times we, we do have staff that don't feel like they can express themselves and, um, and, or we have other staff that just sort of like 
overpower the meeting and so it doesn't end up being you know an inclusive discussion so that is my that is my tactic for dealing with you know a multidisciplinary team with multiple staffing levels and for me with QI it's like paramount that you include everybody's voice and it's a shared decision making process um so i really do try to start with ground rules so very simple things like you know um when you know while we're going through this meeting like you know if you if if we're talking about something or if you're going to if you're not in agreement with what someone has to say you know challenge the idea not the person right um that's a, that's kind of a key rule of mine or or approach of mine uh, when we have like lively discussions about what we're going to be doing about something um or a particular QI project um so it's just a way to just sort of neutralize and make sure everyone, you know, has a voice and is heard. No, I I love it. I I think I, I think it's fair to say that in healthcare we have a lot of meetings about stuff. Um not always sure if we need the meetings or not, but I think <laughs> to your yeah. point, you know, when we can put a lot of focus around running effective meetings that it's a game changer, right? It's almost like if if every meeting we come out of is value add to the work, to the organization or the people that attend it, then it changes how we come out and how effective we are post meeting for whatever those topics are. So awesome yeah. and, and great takeaways for um, for ground rules and best practices to make them effective. So um, love that feedback and uh, Shruti would love for you to. Now share with us perhaps one of the best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional. Um, but, again, you know, walk us through the situation, what was going on, and definitely through any of the decisions you made to turn it into a personal or professional success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is actually a, a recent aha moment that I had, um, and um, it it's really related to um, – our committee meetings um, that we have on a like a quarterly basis uh, with uh, across our institute. So all five of our clinics meet um, every three months, and um, we have a two-hour quality committee meeting. And um, it's really it's always been a space where we have um, a, um, had each clinic sort of present on either the initial conception of like their QI project, like what they're, you know, basically within the PDSA, like what they've planned for, but haven't yet started or just started on. And then, you know, over time also have them present on in subsequent meetings, present on um, how the project, you know, what kind of impact it's had so far, like what are, you know, any outcomes have you actually improved on the quality measures and, you know, any lessons learned so that, um across the institute everyone pretty much works on you know a set standard um a standard set of measures right so they so it's a way for folks to really see what other clinics are doing um learn from that um and potentially if if a clinic has really found um a strategy that really works for them potentially having other clinics adopt that strategy as well if that's going to be something that makes sense for their workflow so it's always been um centered around um you know presenting on 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 um what they're currently doing and and what outcomes they've had from from their QI projects 
But then, um, you know, we started really shifting as an institute to more value-based care um, approaches and, and, and metrics. Um, and this is, um, you know, obviously a huge um, shift in healthcare that's happening right now, right, with the Medicaid, Medicare redesign efforts. And um, so, so a lot of this is, you know, a lot of this shift is going to have a huge impact on our our day to day and and how our workflows are set up. So, um, what I you know what I quickly recognize is that you know we need to kind of go beyond just presenting what we do. We need to like really have a group brainstorming session because this is you know this is a big shift in our existing clinic workflows. So um, rather than using the meeting as a forum for presentations, we changed the meeting. The last two quarterly meetings that we've had, what we've decided to do is really have them be working meetings. Um, and the first meeting that we did that was more of a working meeting, um, you know, we just completely facilitated it um, in through group exercises. So um, we decided to use some sort of lean methods, um, which is also something that we're shifting into more and more. So we still, you know, follow the IHI model for improvement and PDSA cycles, but, you know, lean is something that is gaining traction within the healthcare industry. So we wanted to be cognizant of that, and I think there's a lot of great um, tools um, within lean and Six Sigma that, you know, we wanted to explore and explore with the group and have them, um, you know, use those tools like a fishbone, like, you know, root cause analysis um, exercise. We did um, more recently, we use like diver diagrams to really think about our primary drivers for a lot of our root causes and then how um, how we were going to address that, like what were the like change ideas we were going to think about um, from those um you know, primary drivers and secondary drivers of our um, our existing, you know, workflow issues. So, um, so yeah, we completely switched up the meeting, and it was such a such a great change to how we were working because um, it really leveraged the idea of groupthink. You know, and so I mean, we could have done this at the clinic level, but to do it at the institute level was just a whole nother um, experience, um, and I just loved it. You know, um, you know, it got the teams. We actually switched up the teams. Even the first time we did it, we did a root cause analysis. We looked at all of these value-based care outcomes, um, and really, you know. Um, we we basically matched different um different staff across the clinics um so n no one clinic was sitting together it was like a mishmash so we had five different groups uh with a complete mix of staff from each clinic in that group and um you know they were really doing some root cause analyses um for various metrics and then at the end they would report out you know kind of what what their group came up with in terms of what the root causes were for why, you know, we weren't really performing at our best with certain value-based care outcomes. And um, there was a lot of trends, you know, there was a lot of things that came out of that. And 
um, you know, that was like, to us, that just showed us like, you know, there was a lot of issues across the institute that was similar, and that as an institute, we can really come together and, you know, um, problem solve, right? Not just think about what the root causes are, but then take a step further and then problem solve and come up with strategies that the entire institute could potentially employ at, you know, in different ways at their practices. So um, this sort of like group brainstorming and um, problem solving um, was something that we realized was such a powerful way of conducting a meeting or conducting our quality committee meetings um, because it really, I think, ultimately people left feeling like, okay, you know, everyone's in the same boat, right? We we have very similar issues, and um, I think they learned a lot from each other about how they can address those issues. Well, and so, again, it almost even goes back to your tip around meeting management. It sounds like you've restructured your meetings in a way that adds value right there on the spot if those groups are leaving with something that they can either act on or, you know, just that comfort that you guys are steadily moving in the right direction. So it sounds really it sounds really cool, really effective what you're doing there. Um, if it's okay to share this, I don't know if this would be applicable to the work you're doing, but it's something that I'm engaged with a group that I'm partnered with right now. Uh, we're doing some portfolio management work, so looking at an entire, you know, spread of initiatives. And I am just now, you know, kind of keying in on a tool called the Lean Canvas. And traditionally, it's, it's used for business planning, but I, I'm I'm trying to kind of tweak it a little bit to actually work towards portfolio management overall. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you all continue to play with different Lean and Six Sigma tools, it may be something, um, I mean, it, it is literally a brainstorming activity like you described with the meetings you're doing. And um, within about 15 to 30 minutes, depending on, you know, what you're working on, you can almost flush out an entire portfolio. So if you guys are rolling out new programs related to the work you're doing, uh, I think there's value in it. I'm still kind of playing with it. I'm a huge fan of driver diagrams like you shared, uh, which can start to kind of do the same thing as well. But um, that's just another one maybe to add to to the work and research that you guys are rolling through right now. That's great. Yeah, I'd love to learn more about that. So thank you for for suggesting yet another tool. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, it's the, the gift and the curse of, uh, you know, the <laughs> world is there's, yeah. we're not we're not lacking tools. No, uh, we're not. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Good good stuff. Good work you're doing there. Um, I, I would love for you to share with us, Shruti, um, what are some of the changes going on across the healthcare industry right now that you are personally excited about, and what role do you see uh, quality and process improvement professionals playing to promote it or to support it? Sure. Um, I mean, for us, and I think for a lot of healthcare organizations, you know, value-based care and value-based payments um, are sort of like the the way of the future at this point. Um, and but you know, this is this is in a lot of ways. Um, old terminology, um, you know, population health management is is value-based care. That's, you know, or they they go hand in hand. And, you know, we've always, um, population health management has always been a, um, a, a piece of 
the healthcare puzzle or, or even in public health has been something that um, has gained traction over the years. And I think now value-based care is really just sort of underscoring the need for population, better population health management, uh, advanced primary care practices um, and strategies that ultimately will help you know, help us really achieve outcomes. So, like, not really, it's no longer a focus on, like, volume and how many patients we see and how many services we provide, but, like, what are our outcomes with this popu- with the populations that we serve? Like, are we really getting, you know, making traction in, in making this population more healthy and helping them manage their disease more effectively for preventing, you know, future um, health issues, whether it's like cancer or, you know, any other conditions like diabetes or cardiovascular disease. So like, you know, the preventative piece of it, the disease management side of it, um, ultimately, you know, the outcomes, right? Like what are our patient outcomes and are we achieving them um, across the board? Um, and that's what really, you know, that's what excites me because, um, it goes beyond the numbers. It's really about, you know, when you think about value-based care, population health management, it's really about helping a practice, you know, achieve better wellness among their patients and hopefully prevent any serious or, you know, avoidable complications um, with their patients so that they, you know, they're not, like, having to go to the emergency room or or having to have inpatient stays. You know, it's really really exciting to me because it's beyond the numbers. It's beyond volume. It's beyond, you know, just services provided. But it is a big uh, shift in how we work and how obviously the payment structure is going to change as well for providers over time. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of unknowns and I know that folks are really, um, you know, on the other side of this, there's a lot of questions about whether this is something, you know, the shift to value-based care where, or value-based payments where you're paid based on outcomes. Is that really going to be effective? Is that really going to happen? How is that going to happen? Are we going to be able to achieve the outcomes that this approach is saying we can? Um, But I think, you know, like anything, we have to just sort of put put strategies in place to to really be able to speak to this because we're definitely headed in this direction. I think it's worth you know, um, coming up with more effective ways of managing, proactively managing your panel and, you know, really having more team-based care as well. I mean, that's that's a big driver of how you address value-based care is to, it's not just about the provider, it's like the care team um, and how everyone can like sort of really work to the top of their license and work as a team to support um, support a provider's panel um, and to ultimately support our patients in better outcomes. Well, and, again, it's so relevant because this is kind of like one of those – Well, so the, I guess the first part is it's almost just makes you feel like it's the way healthcare was supposed to be from day one. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yes, exactly. But then, you know, yeah, to your point, even though it, it, that being said, right, it's still a transition in mindset and operations – um, but mm-hmm. it's a train that is probably 
not going to stop moving anytime soon. Um, so I, I'm glad you brought that up, and that's something I, I really hope our quality people that listen to this show can keen in on and start to understand that a lot better. But, you know, figure out how to get in front of it or to at least <laughs> roll yeah. right along with as those changes continue to push forward. But, um, Shruti, the next question I have for you, though, kind of plays into that which is how can the healthcare industry now become a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals to start and grow their careers, especially with such a major transitioning happening at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, actually to to answer the previous, I don't think I completed the previous question either, is, is that why is it such a big, um, play a big role for quality professionals? So like when we're thinking about value-based care and the shift to this approach, quality is like the, like is paramount, right? Like that's what actually drives value-based care. So, you know, it's about, it's about providing two things. It's about providing high high quality of care at a lower cost, right? Um, that's what value-based care is all about. And so if you don't have the quality, you're not going to really benefit and be, you know, um, and be able to have any shared savings from any kind of value-based care, you know, contracts that you engage in with um, with uh, managed care organizations or payers. Um, so that quality piece, if you don't have that, that just, you know, um, that sort of leaves you at a disadvantage from really, um, you know, um, in having successes in in um, having shared savings from your value-based care contracts. So, and then to to answer your current question about like you know how healthcare can become more attractive for for talented quality professionals, like I think a big part of this is you know I think of healthcare leadership, you know whether at the hospital level, department level, practice level, you know what they really need to do going forward is. Um, keep quality as a core value and as part of their mission. Um, and in doing so, what what will need to happen is we will need to embed policies and procedures, right, that foster a strong culture of quality among all staff at all levels. So um, when you when you really, you know, um, include quality in your mission and your values you know, then it really starts to seep into a lot of your strategic planning for your health system and and just how, and then from there on, you know, how you're going to be, um, what your expectations are of staff, you know, of providers, of nursing, of administrative staff. So I think often what um, quality professionals struggle with is really attempting to, you know, engage with a project team because um, often teams, you know, teams lack buy-in or motivation uh, for creating and sustaining a quality management system or a continuous process for looking at and addressing quality performance or quality outcomes. So um, it's so important to have, you know, sort of like that executive level sponsors and their buy-in and then also taking it a step further 
having them really embed quality into the everyday process for pay, uh, for staff. Um, and um, so that that I think I think maybe that would require you know at at that level sort of like more at the enterprise level, um, like very specific like training or strat strategic development, right, at the health system level or at the hospital level, at the departmental level, just so that um we keep quality as a core a core value. Wonderful. And I um I really appreciate even, you know, your points about that strategic approach and the, again you, you mentioned it once again, quality management systems. Um, you know, from my experience working with so many different groups a lot of folks are just thinking maybe quality improvement at best or quality assurance, um, but the comprehensive quality management system tends to be a pretty big gap across the board, but it all connects back um, to, again, what you said, which is the strategic approach, um, strategically planning for quality, keeping it top of mind, and so forth. Um, so I think you're just spot on with all of the feedback you provided there. So awesome, and thank you again for, for sharing those thoughts. Sure. Uh, all right, look, Shruti, I just want to give you a heads up that we are right now um, halfway through the show, and we're going to move into what we call the two-minute drill of our interview, very much our, our rapid-fire Q&A. Um, just giving you a quick pulse check to make sure you're ready to go. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> all right. Could you please tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional? Sure. Um I would say for me it's about really honestly it's a simple it's a simple answer it's the patience you know and that to me is what um drives me to do my best and um so especially with the patients that we serve these are patients living with HIV and um with a lot of other comorbidities and um it is a you know um a very high need population um unfortunately a very disenfranchised population oftentimes and um so you know these are folks that it, they have various other barriers and um there's a lot of um you know in terms of like social determinants of health like whether it's housing or employment or um any other areas um um that typically drive or make it harder for our patients to engage in care and maintain engagement in care um and so that's what really drives me because I think, you know, um, it's so important for us to keep quality at the forefront for these patients who might not be here, you know, if we weren't, you know, really uh, trying to provide better access to care and treatment for them, right? And so while we do have them, we need to do our best to keep them engaged. We need to do our best to make them feel like, you know, we are their health home. We are, you know, and, and more, you know. Um, so that's that's really what drives me. All right, wonderful. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Don't strive for perfection, <laughs> which, you know, it's it's interesting, especially in the field of quality or uh, or evaluation or just performance management, right? Because um, it's very easy to mistake, you know, um, 
quality or, or, you know, really achieving high quality outcomes with, you know, having a need for things to be perfect, right? Like things to go just as planned so that we can really meet our numbers or, you know, meet these outcomes. Um, but, you know, I think, I think what health professionals, especially people in quality have to keep in mind is like, you know, if we, it's really about the process, right? Um, and so, um, forget perfection, right? It's really about engaging in that process because ultimately like, you know, everyone's gone through this, like you've, you've implemented quality projects. You think it's great. You've included everybody at the table. Everyone's signed off. Everyone's gung-ho about doing something and it doesn't work sometimes and, or a lot of times it doesn't work, um, or pieces of it don't work. And, um, as as frustrating as that can be, that's just the nature of what we do, right? Um, it's trial and error, and ultimately it's just about the journey and about learning from that journey and hopefully continuously improving on your journey. Um, so, you know, trying to strive for perfection is just not – is not going to get you where you need to be, right? It's actually going to um to sort of pigeonhole you ultimately if you if you do do that. So, if you're going to be in quality, you have to have an open mind and have to be open to failure um because that's really the only way to grow. Wonderful and that is um that that is just the the absolute philosophy of I think our, our quality people and our, our quality profession as a whole. It's all about the progress, the journey and not perfection. So uh perfect. I love that that piece of advice that was shared. Um Shruti, do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career? I actually you know, I don't. And I'll I'll say this. Um I've never ha- like had or adopted someone as a mentor during my career, but I've had a lot of colleagues that I just admired so much and they inspire me in in different ways. Um, you know, and so what I for me I think in my career I really try to pull from from my peers, um, even from my staff, you know, uh, on my team and, um, you know, and leadership as well. So, like, um, it's like a real 360 for me in that sense because I think um, everyone has something um, to to give and something – everyone has something that you can learn from, right? So that's sort of how I've always sort of approached um, – I, I don't know if I would call it mentorship, but I think I would call it like more so inspiration <laughs> in terms of um, what I do and where I want to head. Wonderful. No, it, it sounds like it's a, ha, it has a similar impact, so um, inspiration is definitely acceptable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next question for you. Uh, could you please share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading the quality work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, this is something that, you know, is like such a simple thing to do, but like it's uh, oftentimes like forgotten. Um, just celebrating and recognizing small wins along the way. Um, and uh, and that can be, you know, through a variety of ways. Like if, you know, um, as you're 
as you're leading a project through uh, a team through a quality initiative, um, you know, like any early wins along the way or any, any, you know, small things that, you know, you feel are really working well um, or that staff are coming to you and saying like, you know, this is, this is going well, this is progressing well, just being able to celebrate that and recognize that. Um, I also think like trying to have, preliminary data or just like ongoing data to share with the team is also very motivating, right? And also a way to recognize their efforts to say like, hey, I know you're doing this on a day-to-day basis, so we're going to try to provide you, you know, um, the analytics as well so that you can see how you're progressing over time. I think that is really key. And, um, you know, I know that a lot of systems don't have the infrastructure to really do that, um in in a on a um maybe on a more routine way but um you know i'm i'm at least fortunate to to have that kind of resource and we try as much as possible to feedback data you know um as free, as frequently as we can so that it keeps the momentum going and so that if there is small wins we can also recognize that along the way Perfect. I love it. And I know that is something I am guilty of not doing enough of. So uh, I but love it, that feedback. It, yeah, and it happens. It happens to all of us, you know, and it's like you're in it and you're trying to just get through, you know, and push everyone through. But it's like got to take you got to take that time to also just recognize everybody's efforts, you know, in any small way. All right. Wonderful. And could you please share a your number one internet resource or mobile application resource that helps you to be the most productive? Sure. Um, OneNote. So this is um, uh, through Microsoft. It's actually it's free. I mean, if anyone has a um, you know a PC, it, it comes with the Microsoft Office suite. Um, so uh, this is sort of a place, one place for all of your notes, right? And so I use it for everything. I use it for, like, meeting notes. I use it for to-do lists. Um, I can, like, put in screenshots of things in there. I use it for journaling, like, if you want to keep a, a journal for, for work, um, which I think is always helpful. Um, I also, like, you know, if, if you have a project team, um, it's a great way to, like, share content within – like with other users on your team. Um, and then um, one thing I didn't realize that I just found out recently, you can actually like write in um, in OneNote, like using a stylus, right? Like, And then it converts it into text for you. So um, I just started doing that recently, which is like, which is great when I'm like in a meeting and I don't have to, you know, waste paper. I can just like write in my, my iPad or, or um, tablet and, um it just gets gets converted into text over time. So um, it's a great way to just keep everything together. All right, perfect. I, I think that's the first time we had that uh, that shared. Um, so wonderful. Oh, great. All right. Well, <laughs> everyone has access to it if you have Microsoft Office, so <laughs> definitely use it if you can, yeah. All right, awesome. And uh, next question I have for you is, could you please share with our quality people one professional association and one professional conference that you think would be a value add? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, it's interesting. I believe um, there it, – it really depends on, I think, what um, what you're sort of involved in uh, in terms of quality. Um, 
I would say for me, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, you know, any of their conferences have, have really been um, just such a, like, a pleasure to be involved in. Um, they're just, to me, they're like the leading expert, right, in improvement. And um, so I, I've often felt like I've, I've really learned a lot. It's a great forum for quality professionals. So I definitely like um I would I would um suggest um their conferences, their trainings. Um I know they, they you know, they don't always um not everyone can attend their trainings because they're like predominantly in, in Massachusetts, but it is helpful um to even go through some of their virtual trainings online. Um and uh a lot of health systems I believe um do have like membership with IHI, so um, some of that is covered, but some of that, you know, could potentially be covered if, you know, if you have the funds within your organization to support that kind of training. Um, and then in terms of, like, professional associations, I actually prefer more local associations for this. So, um, for instance, like, um, in New York, um, there's several associations that are related to, like, the hospital systems um, that are here locally. So, um, th to me, it's, it's, it's like the local context is so important when it comes to that, um, that I actually prefer um, sort of engaging in groups that are more local. And um, to me, that also, like, uh, engenders more like local changes or policies or procedures or, you know, um, sort of change management systems that, you know, are more applicable to the current environment or, you know, political environment in that in that city or state. All right. Wonderful. And no, I appreciate both of those types of recommendations there. And um, next question I have for you is, could you please recommend a book that our listeners yeah. would benefit from and share why? So there's um this is one I actually got uh uh during my time at the Centers for Disease Control. Um and uh, I was in a fellowship program there and uh they had a lot of on-site training while we were while we were at CDC um for our cohort. So one of them was um results without authority. So this is controlling a project when the team doesn't report to you. Um and it's by Tom Kendrick. So it's a really, I think, a key book for anybody that's in quality because often, you know, we are managing teams of people who don't technically report to us. And um, so it actually has a lot of, like, proven techniques for how you essentially can manage those projects, manage diverse teams, and in various situations and sort of make sure that you're bringing those projects to um successful closure. So I think um it's a it's a great book for for quality people cuz that's that's what we do. We're we're basically managing projects for teams that don't report to us. So um for anyone, you know, sort of early in their career in quality, I would definitely uh recommend that. All right. Awesome. Appreciate that that recommendation there and we're right at the last question, but Shruti, I, I got to tell you, this is the uh, this is the brain stumper right here. So, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this last question that I have for you is a personal favorite because I am going to 
try to get you to think simultaneously, um, reflecting in your past and looking forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? That's a that's very interesting. I don't think any I've ever heard this scenario before. Um, so You're think, welcome. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so a text message to myself 10 years ago, um, I think I would say don't sweat the small stuff. And a uh, text message to myself 10 years from now, say, um, I'm proud of you. All right. I, I love it. I, I love the simplicity, but still the power in both of those messages. So, um, Shruti, thank you so much again, first and foremost. Um, the, the sharing that you did today, I think, is just a, a ton of information, great knowledge and value that um, our quality people, our listeners are going to, you know, really take from this conversation. Um, let's go ahead and end today with you giving our quality people a parting piece of advice and perhaps sharing the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Sure. Um, so parting piece of advice is to just, you know, show up every day um, with an open mind um, and, um, you know, uh, and really try to enjoy the process and the journey um, and, you know, uh, engage with that as much as possible. And I think that's what will keep us going uh, in this field of quality. Um, and then it, a great way to keep in touch with me, of course, is in uh, through LinkedIn. All right, wonderful. We'll, we'll put that contact information through LinkedIn into the show notes. Um, thank you so much again for for your time, for your expertise, and to our quality people everywhere, just want to thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.